um, after I pray, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 22, but let's go to the Lord one more time. Oh my goodness. Let's pick up the crayons first and then I'll pray. It's, it's up to you, Andy. All right, Father, thank you so much for bringing us into this place this morning and equipping us uh, with hearts and minds that genuinely want to know you better and uh, with, with the desire to serve you, to honor you with the decisions that we make, the things that we say, the things that we listen to, and the actions that we engage in. We thank you for your patience with us, which is endless, and your grace toward us, which is boundless, and your faithfulness to us in spite of our many times faithlessness. Um, as we approach your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to do so with sober and, uh, and thoughtful minds. But at the same time, I do ask that you would help us to um, find this an easy thing to pay attention to, um, that you would help me uh, move aside that people might see Christ and, and him glorified and magnified. And we pray for this as always in his beautiful name. Amen. The last time we were together, we looked at verses 19, 20, and 21. Um, and what I see happening here is having, uh, having addressed trials and then temptations, which you might say are two sides of kind of the difficulty coin that we face as Christians. You have trials on one and temptations on the other. Having addressed those, what James is doing is now moving more into specific characteristics of a Christian. So we saw five of those last week in, in 1920 and 21. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, putting away filth and wickedness, and then um, possessing and having in you the word of God, receiving the word of God. Because None of those really require very much explanation. What I did with the lion's share of our time last week was more illustration than, than even application or implication. I was just trying to help us make sure that we understand what it is that he's talking about. Uh, the takeaway was this. A Christian is someone who knows what it means to listen. Um, we're aware of the fact, I think, I think grown-ups in general, anybody past the age of about 26 or 27, um, and th there are those exceptions in ages below that, but especially beyond that point where everything's done developing, grown-ups understand from experience that listening is not intuitive. It's not the natural thing for us to do in spite of the fact as everybody who preaches James 1 says, you have two ears and one mouth, right? It's still not, it's not, it's not something that we do intuitively. And it, 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 it doesn't come naturally to us. So contextually, here's what I think. I think it's reasonable to assume that what James is talking about specifically is listening to the word of God, all right? Quick to hear that. Because we don't have any problem hearing a little bit of gossip or uh, slander. Like that's, whoa, my ear is 
tuned to that stuff, so I don't need that admonition. What I need is the admonition to be quick to hear the word of God. Second, a Christian is someone who knows what it means to be careful with their speech. Slow to speak implies deliberate, thoughtful, cautious. Um, I used to have, I wish I could find it. I don't know what happened to it. I think sometimes Apple, in an effort to help you save space on your devices, deletes things that you didn't want deleted. At least that's, uh, I, I would rather blame them than my own carelessness. I had a video of Audrey. Uh, this would have been, I don't know, probably 12 years ago. Uh, Maybe, maybe 11 and a half, because she's sitting at the dining room table over at Grandma and Grandpa's, um, and she's got her little pigtails, and she's just, like, for three minutes, she is saying something, not one word of which can anybody understand, but it doesn't inhibit her in the slightest. She just keeps babbling on and on and using hand gestures and clearly imitating what she sees all of the other people in her life doing, but incapable of actually forming any meaningful words or sentences. And it's, it's a hilarious video to me because it illustrates kind of how we are quick to speak. What happens as you get older, as we mature, uh, we, we find ourselves naturally, again, I think, as we, as we mature, needing less and less to broadcast every thought that passes through our minds. So I think, again, contextually, what James is saying is that the word of God in the life and heart of a Christian has a dampening effect on the temptation and the tendency to just speak something that maybe isn't going to be edifying or helpful. Does that make sense? I don't think it's automatically spiritual to be quiet and listen a lot. The proverb says, even the fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. But that didn't make him stop being a fool. So we have to look at this contextually. What's he talking about? Hearing the word of God and speaking those things which are to the purpose of edification. Now, I deliberately avoided spending tons of time on this because guess what? If the Lord tarries and we make it to chapter 3, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the tongue and a lot more detailed treatment of it. So, third, a Christian is someone who knows what it means to slow their anger. I did say, citing Ephesians 4.26, that not all anger is sinful. Right? I, but the problem is, having heard men who teach the scriptures use Ephesians 4.26 to excuse anger, which probably is sinful, I try to point out to all of us that righteous anger isn't a lot of fun. So if you're angry and you're doing all of the angry actions and inside you're kind of having a good time, it's probably not righteous anger. It's probably self-righteous. And that doesn't achieve or attain or come anywhere close to the righteousness of God. So we should be slow to anger. And the takeaway there is I think James is just calling us when we detect that anger is, is rising in us, just slow it down. The easiest way to illustrate this, which I did last week, was how many first drafts of a text message or an email have you deleted? Because by the time you got to the end of it and reread it, you were like, ooh, yikes. Can't send that. Just the passage of time will help us bring our emotions kind of more under control. That brought us to verse 21. 
put aside filthiness and receive the word of God. It's so, it's so self-explanatory. If you're not putting aside filthiness, I would say you are not going to receive the word of God. And if you're receiving the word of God, then you're not going to embrace and receive a lot of filthiness. So it is a kind of one or the other activity track that you can take there. Can't be on both. It's a characteristic of a believer that you don't embrace filth and you are filled with the word of God. Now, as we move into verses 22 through 25 today, um, we're going to see this effect more clearly. So here we go. James 1 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So here's your outline. Point, subpoint, point. Okay? The first point. Those who are students of the scripture and not practitioners of it are deceived. Those who are students of the scriptures and not practitioners of it are deceived. Subpoint. Those who are listeners to the scripture and not executors of it are forgetful. Third point, those who are hearers and doers of the scripture are blessed. So, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, I don't know if you all find it tedious when I do this. I hope not. The things that are interesting to me may not always be interesting to you, but I'm not up here just cerebrally philosophizing, generally speaking. The most interesting thing to me, to me, about self-deception, different from general deception, is this. Think with me. When you deceive someone else, you are still aware of what the truth is as you are deceiving them, right? Mm -hmm. You can, like, you know you're lying when you're doing it. Self-deception requires an impossible state of mind where the deceived is the one doing the deceiving. How can you be at the same time intentionally holding a belief which is false and know that the belief is false. I'll say it a different way. As the deceiver, you must be aware that you are employing a deceitful strategy. When you're the one deceiving, you're aware that you are deceiving. But as the simultaneously deceived you must be unaware of the strategy in order for it to be effective. Right. You have to be both deploying and duped by the same thing in order to be self-deceived. Like, I can't be taken in by your lie if I know the truth. So, if you're in my house and uh, you tell me you didn't look at something 
uh, while connected to my internet that my router log clearly indicates you did look at, your lie doesn't work because I know the truth, right? How can I be taken in by my own lie if I know the truth? This paradox of the the double-mindedness required for self-deception has caused a minority of philosophers to argue or be skeptical that self-deception is even conceptually possible. Unfortunately, the empirical evidence suggests that not only does self-deception exist, but it is rampant. Um, Ten or so years ago, there is a a musician named Lewis Cole who recorded and uploaded to YouTube a short funk song uh, titled Bank Account. And Matt and I stumbled across it uh, and, you know, we still reference it. There are only a few lyrics in this song, really two sentences. The first sentence is, I don't want to check my bank account. And the second set of lyrics is, I'm too scared to check my bank account. (laughs) Anybody who's ever been 16 with a bank account doesn't need those lyrics explained to them. I don't want to look, because I know I'm not going to be pleased with what I find. Imagine, um, imagine Ella, uh, Tim and Nikki's oldest, says she's doing well in college, right? She, uh, she, she lets us know every time she comes back, everything's going great, college is going fantastic. Um, she also systematically avoids ever looking at her grades. She doesn't need to look. She says she already knows she aces all of her tests. She doesn't even have to check. She's that confident. Um, when her professors try to catch her after class to discuss her grades, she rushes away before a conversation can take place. When they send her emails and she sees the, the emails from thus and such a professor, she deletes it. She ignores it. She doesn't read it. Both of these, I don't want to check my bank account. I'm acing all my classes. Both of these are examples of self-deception in that they both portray an active refusal to examine the evidence, right? I don't want to see the truth. For those of you who are interested, um, people who uh, have letters after their names call this deflationary self-deception. So if you want to look it up, on the internet later, you're more than welcome to. If I don't see the truth, I don't have to do anything about it. The problem with these more common examples of self-deception is that they do not seem to apply to what James is describing because James' person listens to the word. They do hear it. It's not like they're not looking. It's not like they're plugging their ears and not listening. Nothing about this text implies that the hearer isn't paying attention. It's not a situation where the word goes in one ear and out the other because you're preoccupied with something else. The implication to the contrary is that the word was heard, understood, acknowledged, and possibly even appreciated. They just don't do anything. So Ella checks her grades. She talks to the professor. She reads the email when it comes. She's like, wow, failing everything. But she doesn't do anything. So she's 
fully aware of the whole situation, but somehow is convinced that just being aware is action enough. Just understanding. Just appreciate it. Thank you, professor, for letting me know. That's action enough. Putting aside the Sundays when you, you know, come up with one reason or another to miss church. I'm not talking about the ones where it's, you have a legitimate reason. You just get up. Some mornings, right, we get up and we're like, mm, not today. What's it going to be? Right? So putting those aside, putting aside the innumerable mornings when you didn't make time to read your Bible. Putting those aside. Let's not focus on the opportunities you missed. How many times have you left church thinking that was a decent message? Please don't, okay? (laughs) In your whole life. How many times have you left church thinking, that was pretty good. That was insightful. That was interesting. How many times have you heard a sermon and been emotionally touched by what was said? How many times have you opened your Bible, read it, and been like convicted by what it says? And done nothing. If anyone is a hearer of the word, 23, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, interesting that James chooses man here, right? Who looks intently, we don't, we don't look intently at our natural faces in the mirror. Well, I don't know. Maybe nowadays they do. Uh, I don't for obvious reasons. Anyway, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Can you imagine that? Uh, You look into the mirror. Let's assume there are some things which need to be addressed. So it's either first thing in the morning, uh, pre-coffee situation. Or it's middle of the night, up just using the bathroom, and you look and see that horror show, right? <laughs> the hair, the bags, the teeth have spinach all in them, lipstick smeared on your chin, nose hairs, <laughs> looking like you keep a whole other mammal up there. <laughs> and then you just turn and walk away and go about your day. And you wonder why people are looking at you strangely. Or you're far overweight, but you dress like you're in great physical condition. We've seen people, right? And we think to ourselves, they either don't own a mirror, which seems unlikely. They have really bad eyesight. Or they get up before the sun and don't have electricity because if I had that much nose hair, I would address it. We see things and we think that, don't we? Like, what is going on there? How did you leave the house thinking that was okay? There's got to be some self-deception going on. Certainly they see what everybody else sees. They're just not doing anything about it. I've made some of you uncomfortable. Occasionally, someone will let us know because we're obviously oblivious, right? Hey, buddy. You got a bat in the cave, or your zipper's down, or you got lipstick on your teeth. 
Maybe you do that with somebody else. You talk, like, it's hard, but you do it because you're the loving friend. You're the, you don't just let them go through life with that situation going on. You, you let them know, hey, you should address this. And, and they say, I really enjoy how you said that. That part about my teeth was so funny. I really appreciate the way you presented this information. And then 15 minutes later, you see them and the booger's still in there and the zipper's still down or the lipstick is still on their teeth. What would we think? They obviously heard what we said because they responded to it. Oh, this is really funny. <laughs> You're funny. I like the way you pointed that out to me. But they didn't do anything about it. What would we think? This is us when we hear the word of God but don't act. It's so ridiculous, it's almost impossible to illustrate. That's why James's example is, or illustration is, is, it's kind of corny. Like, what? No, you, if you look in the mirror right now, you're going to see things I don't even notice about you that bother you about you, and you're going to address them, and I'm going to be like, I don't see any difference. We're all like that. Who looks in the mirror and then walks away changing nothing or forgetting what he was like? So I was like, okay, how do that, that's that there. I beat that horse to death. What about the forgetful hearer? That's the other piece to this, right? So I thought of this. If you've ever replaced a toilet tank fill valve, um, one of the things that you know is that the nut uh, and the, the tail piece of the fill valve are usually made out of plastic, right? And the reason is that the nut and the fill valve threads, if they were made out of brass, when you screw them on, that's the thing that like the water comes into in the bottom of the tank of the toilet. If you screw a brass fitting on there, it will, nine times out of 10, it will crack the ceramic or porcelain mm -hmm. when it compresses that material between the, the metal parts. So they're made out of plastic. And the downside of that is that if you over tighten the nut, you'll crack the nut or the fill valve tailpiece, right? So the instructions say, usually on the packaging, because they know who's changing their own toilet tank fill valves out there in the world, it says, do not over-tighten the nut, okay? So you're changing your toilet tank fill valve and you get to the point where you're putting that nut on and you're like, yep, got it on. And then you go get the biggest set of tongue and groove pliers you own and just start wrenching on that boy until you hear plastic crack and like bits and pieces are falling down on the floor underneath where you're working. And you go, all done and turn on the water and it starts spilling all over the floor. Well, come on. You didn't do what the instructions said to do but you curse the manufacturer, right? Stupid, cheap, plastic. No, this is your fault. You heard it, but you forgot to pay attention to it. You're a forgetful hearer, right? No need to further belabor the point. 21, be doers, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But... The one who looks in, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who hears and does not do is self-deceived. The one 
who, and, and usually also the one who, who goes on to forget what it is that they've heard. But there's another one, and this is the one who does. And let's see if we can spot the difference by asking the most important question. The, I think by far in this passage. Do what? What does the word of God command us to do? Now, if I could, if I could reprogram the way that we, that we conceive of the word of God in everybody's brain, I would, because I think this is very helpful. So the only thing I can do is say it and hope that you hear it and hope that it has teeth and sticks, okay? When you hear the word of God, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? If I pulled the congregation and didn't make you say anything out loud, I'm guessing there would be quite a few who would say, the first thing I think of when I hear the term word of God is this. Is that fair? The second thing might be what is actually the first thing. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word that's used there in the original text is logos. The incarnate Word of God is Jesus Christ. Amen? So what does the Word tell us to do? paramount over all other instructions that the word of God gives, I believe is John 6, 28. Let's turn there. Uh, You might take exception with me putting one directive of scripture over all others, but once you see this, I think you'll agree, you'll understand. John 6, 28, this isn't news to anybody. They, that's the Jews, said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There are, I mean, there are a host of other practical actions uh, which God calls us to engage in, but, but, but they are completely, listen to me, everything else the Bible tells you to do is completely irrelevant if you're not doing this. Believe on him whom he has sent. Said differently, if you do not have faith in and a relationship with the person Jesus Christ it does not matter how much commandment keeping you do. Because you've set aside the one that matters most. How many of us were so deeply touched by the call of Galatians to freedom? We started Galatians, I think, in February or March. And I mean, we zoomed through it because we worked through it thematically. And the theme that emerged was that God wants us to be in freedom in Christ, right? How many of us were greatly encouraged by the idea that God tends our fear, shame, and guilt by sending Jesus to ransom us from sin? I was 
deeply impacted by that? How many of us were profoundly impacted by the idea that we're called not to legalism and not to licentiousness, but we're called to liberty? How many of you will never forget, as long as you don't develop Alzheimer's, how many of you will never forget those three L's and how meaningful that is? God is saying, no, 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 not legalism, not licentiousness, freedom, child, liberty. How many of us were blown away by the similarities in the people of Haggai's time with ours? when we were working through that early in 2022, as we were trying to get this joint planted and saw what was going on with Haggai and the word that God gave him for the people to encourage them to take up the work and not put it off. How many of us were driven to a deeper appreciation for the gospel when we saw the four wells that we tend to go to to tend what's broken and and hurt within us? How many of us were fascinated by the way the word of God calls us away from the well of the world and this preoccupation with things that are passing away, this idea that God gives us good gifts that our affections might terminate on the giver rather than the gift? How many of us were so affected by the way the word of God calls us away from the well of self And this idea that a future version of me will be better and more pleasing to me than the one I've got right now. And so if I just get on a self-improvement track, God will love me more. I will love me more. I will finally be done being ashamed. And, And the word of God said, no, 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 no. That is not the answer to fear, shame, and guilt. A newer version of you is not going to satisfy. A better version of you is not going to satisfy. A younger version of you is not going to satisfy. How many of us were so affected by the way the word of God calls us away from the well of others? In this preoccupation with Now, if I could just have that person's approval, if I could just have that person's affection, if I could just have that person think more highly of me, then I could put away fear. Or by the way, the word of God calls us away from the well of religion. Let me set up a system of morality and regulation by which I can bring God into my debt. And then he has to do what I say because I did what he said. No, 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 no. That's not what the gospel calls us. And we've covered so much ground in the last year. Praise God. But what's God calling us to do? And and I think that I'm consistent enough in my preaching that some of you are probably convinced I only have two or three sermons when you get right down to brass tacks. What's God calling us to do? Be in relationship with me, your creator. Believe in Jesus, delight in me, walk with me, talk with me, get to know me through my word, trust me, pray, talk to me, pour your heart out to me. And what are we doing? Well, you're here, you are looking in the mirror. The word of God has been set forward today. Are you hearing it? Some of you aren't, it's obvious. Others of you, I think you're hearing what I'm saying. But 
but are we believing? Are we changing? Are we trusting? How is it with you during the week? Are you putting off prayer? Are you putting off relationship? Are you putting off delighting in God? Are we putting off believing? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of, what does that say? I mean, I'll be darned. The law of what? The law of what? Liberty. Not bondage. Not do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. A law of freedom. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres or abides by it. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You look at the law, the law of liberty, you look at the law, and it's a mirror. And you see yourself there and you see blemishes and you see imperfections and you see hairs out of place and you see whatever is disheveled and you see what needs to be addressed. And sometimes we are just understandably so tired, right? Seen this before. Uh, it comes back after, you know, two weeks away from my haircut. The cow, it's, there it is again. And I've tried to address it. And, and so if you're me, you curse your hair. And then when you're like 30, you're like, whoa, shouldn't have done that. But, but th th there are things that you address and they exist that just to keep coming back. Bags, you think you found a cream that's going to get rid of them and they keep coming back. D the diaper ointment didn't work or cucumbers or whatever like this. And it's so frustrating. And you start to realize, gosh, as I'm getting older, these things are not improving. It seems like I have more skin now than I did when I was 32, right? And, and, and in, in the same way, when we are looking at the law, the word of God, we see the same things emerging over and over and over because it's a mirror. There I am with everything that's wrong with me and we're tempted to just ignore it. Leave it the same. Because I've prayed this prayer so many times, I'm sure God is tired of hearing it. Well, that's doing nothing. And apparently, according to James 1, that's not an option. So you look intently, which means with earnest, eager attention at the law. And what does James say about it? It's perfect. We have a mirror in my house. It's hung in the like front room slash dining room. If you're ever over and you walk by it, you are going to look fatter than you actually are. Relax. It's the mirror. It's not you. It was designed to be like this, but it's like this. So instead of having a thinning effect, it has a fattening effect. I didn't know there was something wrong with that mirror until we hung it up sideways. Anyway, not the point. There's no imperfections in the mirror of the law. It doesn't make you look fatter or thinner. It shows you exactly, precisely what you look like. And you stare intently at it. And what does James say the doer does? He perseveres. He or she abides by it. So <clears throat> what does the law the law of freedom do? And therefore, what does it call you to do? Well, what it does is it shows you what needs to be changed 
And I believe the thing most consistently that it shows us need to be, needs to be changed is our own infernal unbelief. I need reminders moment by moment throughout the day that I'm supposed to be believing the gospel. I'm supposed to be trusting the Savior, not myself, not my own understanding. Believe the gospel and so be in relationship with your creator who was perfect. That's it. You and I are called to believe. It's hard to believe because we see what's in the mirror, right? And for us, it's like, this looks the same as it did 15 years ago. Then you see a photo of yourself from 15 years ago. You're like, wow, that was way different. I'm way different now than I was then. Now, it's a bad illustration because in the photo sense, we're like, oh, I miss the way it was. In a sanctification sense, we would look and go, oh, wow. God has brought me a long way from where I was. It's hard to believe because we see what's in the mirror. But when we believe, something amazing happens over time. And that is, listen, God changes what's in the mirror to look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And one day... In the blink of an eye, we're going to be just like him because we're going to see him. Praise God for that. Let's pray.